Part two of Use of the Dead to the Living by Thomas Southwood Smith. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part two. The symptom by which an aneurysm is distinguished from every other tumor is chiefly its pulsating motion, but when an aneurysm has become very large, it ceases to pulsate and when an abscess is seated near an artery of great magnitude it acquires a pulsating motion because the pulsations of the artery are perceptible through the abscess the real nature of cases of this kind cannot possibly be ascertained without a most careful investigation combined with an exact knowledge of the structure and relative position of all the parts in the neighborhood of the tumor palatin one of the most distinguished surgeons of france was one day called to a man who after a long walk was seized with a severe pain in the leg over the seat of which appeared a tumour which was attended with a pulsation so violent that it lifted up the hand of the examiner there seemed every reason to suppose that the case was an aneurysmal swelling this acute observer however in comparing the affected with the sound limb perceived in the latter a similar throbbing on careful examination he discovered that by a particular disposition in this individual one of the main arteries of the leg the anterior tibial deviated from its usual course and instead of plunging deep between the muscles lay immediately under the skin and fascia the truth was that the man in the exertion of walking had ruptured some muscular fibres and the uncommon distribution of the artery gave to this accident these peculiar symptoms the real nature of this case could not possibly have been ascertained but by an anatomist the same surgeon has recorded the case of a man who having fallen twice from his horse and experienced for several years considerable uneasiness in his back was afflicted with acute pain in the abdomen at the same time an oval irregularly circumscribed tumour made its appearance in the right flank it presented a distinct fluctuation and had all the appearance of a collection of matter depending on caries of the vertebra the pain was seated chiefly at the lower portion of that part of the spine which forms the back which was moreover distorted and this might have confirmed the opinion that the case was a lumbar abscess with caries palatin however who well knew that an aneurysm as it enlarges may destroy any bone in its neighbourhood saw that the disease was an aneurysm and predicted that the patient must perish on opening the body for the man lived only ten days after pelletan first saw him an aneurysmal tumour was discovered which nearly filled the cavity of the abdomen if this case had been mistaken for lumbar abscess and the tumour had been opened with a view of affording an exit to the matter the man would have died in a few seconds there is no surgeon of discernment or experience whose attention has not been awakened and whose sagacity has not been put to the test by the occurrence of similar cases in his own practice the consequence of error is almost always instantaneously fatal the catalogue of such disastrous events is long and melancholy richerand has recorded that farrand head surgeon of the hotel dieu mistook an aneurysm in the armpit for an abscess plunged his knife into the swelling and killed the patient 
de han speaks of a person who died in consequence of an opening which was made contrary to the advice of burhava in a similar tumour at the knee vesalius was consulted about a tumour in the back which he pronounced to be an aneurysm but an ignorant practitioner having made an opening into it the patient instantly bled to death nothing can be more easy than to confound an aneurysm of the artery of the neck with the swelling of the glands in its neighbourhood with a swelling of the cellular substance which surrounds the artery with abscesses of various kinds but if a surgeon were to fall into this error and to open a carotid aneurysm his patient would certainly be dead in the space of a few moments it must be evident then that a thorough knowledge of anatomy is not only indispensable to the proper treatment of cases of this description but also to the prevention of the most fatal mistakes there is nothing in surgery of more importance than the proper treatment of hemorrhage of the confusion and terror occasioned by the sight of a human being from whom the blood is gushing in torrents and whose condition none of the spectators is able to relieve no one can form an adequate conception but those who have witnessed it in all such cases there is one thing proper to be done the prompt performance of which is generally as certainly successful as the neglect of it is inevitably fatal it is impossible to conceive of a more terrible situation than that of a medical man who knows not what to do on such an emergency he is confused he hesitates while he is deciding what measures to adopt the patient expires he can never think of that man's death without horror for he is conscious that but for his ignorance he might have averted his patient's fate the ancient surgeons were constantly placed in this situation and the dread inspired by it retarded the progress of surgery more than all other causes put together not only were they terrified from interfering with the most painful and destructive diseases which experience has proved to be capable of safe and easy removal but they were afraid to cut even the most trivial tumour when they ventured to remove a part they attempted it only by means of the ligature or by the application of burning irons when they determined to amputate they never thought of doing so until the limb had mortified and the dead had separated from the living parts for they were absolutely afraid to cut into the living flesh they had no means of stopping hemorrhage but by the application of astringents to the bleeding vessels remedies which were inert or of burning irons or boiling turpentine expedients which were not only inert but cruel surgeons now know that the grand means of stopping hemorrhage is compression of the bleeding vessel if pressure be made on the trunk of an artery though blood be flowing from a thousand branches given off from it the bleeding will cease should the situation of the artery be such as to allow of effectual external pressure nothing further is requisite the pressure being applied the bleeding is stopped at once should the situation of the vessel place it beyond the reach of external pressure it is necessary to cut down upon it and to secure it by the application of a ligature Paré may be pardoned for supposing that he was led to the discovery of this invaluable remedy by the inspiration of the deity by means of it the most formidable operations may be undertaken with the utmost confidence because the wounded vessels can be secured the moment they are cut 
by the same means the most frightful hemorrhages may be most effectually stopped and even when the bleeding is so violent as to threaten immediate death it may often be averted by the simple expedient of placing the finger upon the wounded vessel until there is time to tie it but it is obvious that none of these expedients can be employed and that these bleedings can neither be checked at the moment nor permanently stopped without such a knowledge of the course of the trunks and branches of vessels as can be acquired only by the study of anatomy the success of amputation is closely connected with the knowledge of the means of stopping hemorrhage not to amputate is often to abandon the patient to a certain and miserable death and all that the surgeon formerly did was to watch the progress of that death he had no power to stop or even to retard it the fate of sir philip sidney is a melancholy illustration of this truth this noble-minded man the light and glory of his age was cut off in the bloom of manhood and the midst of his usefulness by the wound of a musket bullet in his left leg a little above the knee when extraction of the ball or amputation of the limb says his biographer would have saved his inestimable life but the surgeons and physicians were unwilling to practise the one and knew not how to perform the other he was variously tormented by a number of surgeons and physicians for three weeks amputation indeed was never attempted except where mortification had itself half performed the operation the just apprehension of an hemorrhage which there was no adequate means of stopping checked the hand of the boldest surgeon and quailed the courage of the most daring patient and if ever the operation was resorted to almost always proved fatal the patient generally expired according to the expression of celsus in ipso opere how could it be otherwise the surgeon cut through the flesh of his patient with a red-hot knife this was his only means of stopping the hemorrhage by this expedient he sought to convert the whole surface of the stump into an escar but this operation painful in its execution and terrible in its consequences when it even appeared to succeed succeeded only for a few days for the bleeding generally returned and proved fatal as soon as the sloughs or dead parts became loose plunging the stump into boiling oil into boiling turpentine into boiling pitch for all these means were used was attended with no happier result and after unspeakable suffering almost every patient perished in the manner in which amputation is performed at present not more than one person in twenty loses his life in consequence of the operation even taking into the account all the cases in which it is practised in hospitals in private practice where many circumstances favor its success it is computed that ninety-five persons out of a hundred recover from it when it is performed at a proper time and in a proper manner it seems impossible to exhibit a more striking illustration of the great value of anatomical knowledge but if there be any disease which from the frequency of its occurrence from the variety of its forms from the difficulty of discriminating between it and other maladies and from the danger attendant on almost all its varieties requires a combination of the most minute investigation with the most accurate anatomical knowledge it is that of hernia 
this disease consists of a protrusion of some of the viscera of the abdomen from the cavity in which they are naturally contained into a preternatural bag composed of the portion of the peritoneum the membrane which lines the abdomen which is pushed before them it is computed that one-sixteenth of the human race are afflicted with this malady it is sometimes merely an inconvenient complaint attended with no evil consequences whatever but there is no form of this disease which is not liable to be suddenly changed and by slight causes from a perfectly innocent state into a condition which may prove fatal in a few hours the disease itself occurs in numerous situations it may be confounded with various diseases it may exist in the most diversified states it may require without the loss of a single moment a most important and delicate operation and it may appear to demand this operation while the performance of it may really be not only useless but highly pernicious the danger of hernia depends on its passing into that state which is technically termed strangulation when a protruded intestine suffers such a degree of pressure as to occasion a total obstruction to the passage of its contents it is said to be strangulated the consequence of pressure thus producing strangulation is the excitement of inflammation this inflammation must inevitably prove fatal unless the pressure be promptly removed in most cases this can be effected only by the operation two things then are indispensable first the ability to ascertain that the symptoms are really produced by pressure that is to distinguish the disease from the affections which resemble it and secondly when this is effected to perform the operation with promptitude and success the distinction of strangulated hernia from affections which resemble it often requires the most exact knowledge and the most minute investigation the intestine included in a hernial sac may be merely affected with colic and thus give rise to the appearance of strangulation it may be in a state of irritation produced for example by unusual fatigue and from this cause may be attacked with the symptoms of inflammation inflammation may be excited in the intestine by the common causes of inflammation which the hernia may have no share in inducing and of which it may not even participate were this case mistaken and the operation performed it would not only be useless but pernicious while the attention of the practitioner would be diverted from the real nature of the malady the prompt and vigorous application of the remedies which alone could save the patient would be neglected and he would probably perish on the other hand a very small portion of intestine may become strangulated and urgently require the operation but there may be no tumour all the symptoms may be those and on a superficial examination only those of inflammation of the bowels were the real nature of this case mistaken death would be inevitable nothing is more common than fatal errors of this kind it is only a few months ago that a physician was called in haste to a person who was said to be dying of inflammation of the bowels before he reached the house the man was dead he had been ill only three days on looking at the abdomen there was a manifest hernia the first glance was sufficient to ascertain the fact 
the practitioner in attendance had known nothing of the matter he had never suspected the real nature of the disease and had made no inquiry which could have led to the detection of it here was a case which might probably have been saved but for the criminal ignorance and inattention of the practitioner whenever there are symptoms of inflammation of the bowels examination of the abdomen is indispensable and the life of the patient will depend on the care and accuracy with which the investigation is made but it is possible that inflammation may attack the parts included in the hernial sac without arising from the hernia itself the inflammation may be produced by the common causes of inflammation there may be no pressure there may be no strangulation the swelling may be the seat not the cause of the disease in this case too the operation would be both useless and pernicious now all these are diversities which it is of the highest importance to discriminate in some of them life depends on the clearness accuracy and promptitude with which the discrimination is made promptitude is of no less consequence than accuracy if the decision be not formed and acted on at once it will be of no avail the rapidity of the progress of this disease is often frightful we have mentioned a case in which it was fatal in three days but it not unfrequently terminates fatally in less than twenty-four hours sir astley cooper mentions a case in which the patient was dead in eight hours after the commencement of the disease larry has recorded the case of a soldier in whom a hernia took place which was strangulated immediately he was brought to the ambulance instantly and perished in two hours with gangrene of the part and of the abdominal viscera this was the second instance which had occurred to this surgeon of a rapidity thus appalling what clearness of judgment what accuracy of knowledge what promptitude of decision are necessary to treat such a disease with any chance of success the moment that a case is ascertained to be strangulated hernia an attempt must be made to liberate the parts from the stricture and to replace them in their natural situation this is first attempted by the hand and the operation is technically termed the taxis the patient must be placed in a particular position pressure must be made in a particular direction it is impossible to ascertain either without an accurate knowledge of the parts if pressure be made in a wrong direction and in a rough and unscientific manner the organs protruded instead of being urged through a proper opening are bruised against the parts which oppose their return many cases are on record in which gangrene and even rupture of the intestines have been occasioned in this manner when the parts cannot be returned by the hand assisted by those remedies which experience has proved to be beneficial the operation must be performed without the delay of a moment to its proper performance two things are necessary first a minute anatomical knowledge of the various and complicated parts which are implicated in it and secondly a steady firm and delicate command of the knife in the first place the integuments must be divided the cellular substance which intervenes between the skin and the hernial sac must be removed layer by layer with the knife and the dissecting forceps the sac itself must be opened this part of the operation must be performed with the most extreme caution the sac being laid open the protruded organs are now exposed to view 
the operator must next ascertain the exact point where the stricture exists having discovered its seat he must make his incision with a particular instrument in a certain direction to a definite extent on account of the nature of the parts implicated in the operation and the proximity of vessels life depends on an exact knowledge and a precise and delicate attention to all these circumstances how can this knowledge be obtained how can this dexterity be acquired without a profound acquaintance with anatomy and how can this be acquired without frequent and laborious dissection the eye must become familiar with the appearance of the integuments with the appearance of the cellular substance beneath it with the appearance of the hernial sac and of the changes which it undergoes by disease with the appearance of the various viscera contained in it and of their changes and the hand must pay that steady and prompt obedience to the judgment which nothing but knowledge and the consciousness of knowledge can command even this is not all when the operation has been performed thus far with perfect skill and success the most opposite measures are required according to the actual state of the organs contained in the sac if they are agglutinated together if portions of them are in a state of mortification to return them into the cavity of the abdomen in that condition would in general be certain death preternatural adhesion must be removed mortified portions must be cut away but how can this possibly be done without an acquaintance with healthy and diseased structure and how can this be obtained without dissecting the organs in a state of health and of disease it has been stated that the progress of strangulated hernia to a fatal termination is often frightfully rapid in certain cases to delay the operation even for a very short period is therefore to lose the only chance of success but ignorant and half-informed surgeons are afraid to operate they are conscious that the operation is one of immense importance they know that in the hands of an operator ignorant of anatomy it is one of extreme hazard they therefore put off the time as long as possible they have recourse to every expedient they resort to everything but the only efficient remedy and when at last they are compelled by a secret sense of shame to try that it is too late all the best practical surgeons express themselves in the strongest language on the importance of performing the operation early if it be performed at all on this point there is a perfect accordance between the most celebrated practitioners on the continent and the great surgeons of our own country all represent in many parts of their writings the dangerous and fatal effects of delay mr hay in his practical observations states that when he first began to practice he considered the operation as the last resource and only to be employed when the danger appeared imminent by this dilatory mode of practice says he i lost three patients in five upon whom the operation was performed having more experience of the urgency of the disease i made it my custom when called to a patient who had labored two or three days under the disease to wait only about two hours that i might try the effect of bleeding if that evacuation was not forbidden by some peculiar circumstance of the case and the tobacco clister 
in this mode of practice i lost about two patients in nine upon whom i operated this comparison is drawn from cases nearly similar leaving out of the account those cases in which gangrene of the intestine had taken place i have now at the time of writing this performed the operation thirty-five times and have often had occasion to lament that i performed it too late but never that i had performed it too soon these observations are sufficient to show the importance of anatomy in certain surgical diseases the state of medical opinion from the earliest ages to the present time furnishes a most instructive proof of its necessity to the detection and cure of disease in general the doctrines of the father of physic are in the highest degree vague and unmeaning everything is resolved by hippocrates into a general principle which he terms nature and to which he ascribes intelligence which he clothes with the attributes of justice and which he represents as possessing virtues and powers which he says are her servants and by means of which she performs all her operations in the bodies of animals distributes the blood spirits and heat through all the parts of the body and imparts to them life and sensation he states that the manner in which she acts is by attracting what is good or agreeable to each species and retaining preparing and changing it or on the other hand by rejecting whatever is superfluous or hurtful after she has separated it from the good this is the foundation of the doctrine of deparation concoction and crisis in fevers so much insisted on by him and by other physicians after him but when he explains what he means by nature he resolves it into heat which he says appears to have something immortal in it the great opponent of hippocrates was asclepiades he asserted that matter considered in itself is of an unchangeable nature that all perceptible bodies are composed of a number of small ones termed corpuscles between which there are interspersed an infinity of small spaces totally devoid of matter that the soul itself is composed of these corpuscles that what is called nature is nothing more than matter and motion that hippocrates knew not what he said when he spoke of nature as an intelligent being and ascribed to her various qualities and virtues that the corpuscles of which all bodies are composed are of different figures and consist of different assemblages that all bodies contain numerous pores or interstices which are of different sizes that the human body like all other bodies possesses pores peculiar to itself that these pores are larger or smaller according as the corpuscles which pass through them differ in magnitude that the blood consists of the largest and the spirits and the heat of the smallest on these principles asclepiades founded his theory of medicine he maintains that as long as the corpuscles are freely received by the pores the body remains in its natural state that on the contrary as soon as any obstacle obstructs their passage it begins to recede from that state that therefore health depends on the just proportion between these pores and corpuscles that on the contrary disease proceeds from a disproportion between them that the most usual obstacle arises from a retention of some of the corpuscles in their ordinary passages where they arrive in too large a number or are of irregular figures or move too fast or proceed too slow that frenzies lethargies pleurisies 
burning fevers for example are occasioned by these corpuscles stopping of their own accord that pain is produced by the stagnation of the largest of all these corpuscles of which the blood consists that on the contrary deliriums languors extenuations leanness and dropsies derive their origin from a bad state of the pores which are too much relaxed or opened that dropsy in particular proceeds from the flesh being perforated with various small holes which convert the nourishment received into them into water that hunger is occasioned by an opening of the large pores of the stomach and belly that thirst arises from an opening of the small pores that intermittent fevers have the same origin that quotidian fever is produced by a retention of the largest corpuscles tertian fever by a retention of corpuscles somewhat smaller and quartan fever by a retention of the smallest corpuscles of all galen maintained that the animal body is composed of three principles namely the solids the humours and the spirits that the solid parts consist of similar and organic that the humours are four in number namely the blood the phlegm the yellow bile and the black bile that the spirits are of three kinds namely the vital the animal and the natural that the vital spirit is a subtle vapour which arises from the blood and which derives its origin from the liver the organ of sanguification that the spirits thus formed are conveyed to the heart where in conjunction with the air drawn into the lungs by respiration they become the matter of the second species namely of the vital spirits that in their turn the vital spirits are changed into the animal in the brain and so on at last came paracelsus who was believed to have discovered the elixir of life and who is the very prince of charlatans he delivered a course of lectures on the theory and practice of physic in the university of basel which he commenced by burning the works of galen and avicenna in the presence of his auditory he assured his hearers that his shoe latchets had more knowledge than both these illustrious authors put together that all the academies in the world had not so much experience as his beard and that the hair on the back of his neck was more learned than the whole tribe of authors it was fitting that a person of such splendid pretensions should have a magnificent name he therefore called himself philippus aureolus theophrastus paracelsus bombast von honanheim he was a great chemist and like other chemists he was a little too apt to carry into other sciences the smoke and tarnish of the furnace he conceived that the elements of the living systems were the same as those of his laboratory and that sulphur salt and quicksilver were the constituents of organized bodies he taught that these constituents were combined by chemical operations that their relations were governed by archaeus a demon who performed the part of alchemist in the stomach who separated the poisonous from the nutritive part of the food and who communicated the tincture by which the food became capable of assimilation that this governor of the stomach this spiritus vitae this astral body of man was the immediate cause of all diseases and chief agent in their cure that each member of the body had its peculiar stomach by which the work of secretion was effected that diseases were produced by certain influences of which there were five in particular viz 
ends estral ends benigni ends naturale ends spirituale and ends diale that when archaeus was sick putrescence was occasioned and that either localitur or immancaliture and etc 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 it would be leading to a detail which is incompatible with our present purpose to follow these speculations or to give an account of the doctrines of the mechanical physician who believed that every operation of the animal economy was explained by comparing it to a system of ropes levers and pulleys united with a number of rigid tubes of different lengths and diameters containing fluids which from variations in their impelling causes moved with different degrees of velocity or of the chemical physicians whose manner of theorizing and investigating would have qualified them better for the occupation of the brewer or of the distiller than for that of the physician all these speculations are idle fancies without any evidence whatever to support them and it has been argued that for this very reason they must have been without any practical result and that therefore if they were productive of no benefit they were at least innocuous no opinion can be more false or pernicious these wretched theories not only preoccupied the mind prevented it from observing the real phenomena of health and of disease and the actual effect of the remedies which were employed and thus put an effectual stop to the progress of the science but they were productive of the most direct and serious evils it is no less true in medicine than in philosophy and morals that there is no such thing as innocuous error that men's opinions invariably influence their conduct and that physicians like other men act as they think asclepiades whose mind was full of corpuscles and interstices was intent on finding suitable remedies which he discovered in gestation friction and the use of wine by various exercises he proposed to render the pores more open and to make the juices and corpuscles the retention of which causes disease to pass more freely hence he used gestation from the very beginning of the most burning fevers he laid it down as a maxim that one fever was to be cured by another that the strength of the patient was to be exhausted by making him watch and endure thirst to such a degree that for the first two days of the disorder he would not allow them to cool their mouths with a drop of water abernathy's regulated diet is luxurious compared to his plan of abstinence for the three first days he allowed his patients no aliment whatever on the fourth he so far relented as to give to some of them a small portion of food but from others he absolutely withheld all nourishment till the seventh day and this is the gentleman who laid it down as a maxim that all diseases are to be cured tuto celeriter et jacunda to be sure he was a believer in the doctrine of compensation and in the latter stage of their diseases endeavoured to recompense his patients for the privation he caused them to endure in the beginning of their illness celsus observes that though he treated his patients like a butcher during the first days of the disorder he afterwards indulged them so far as to give directions for making their beds in the softest manner 
he allowed them abundance of wine which he gave freely in all fevers he did not forbid it even to those afflicted with frenzy nay he ordered them to drink it till they were intoxicated for said he it is absolutely necessary that persons who labour under frenzy should sleep and wine has a narcotic quality to lethargic patients he prescribed it with great freedom but with the opposite purpose of rousing them from their stupor his great remedy and dropsy was friction which of course he employed to open the pores with the same view he enjoined active exercise to the sick but what is a little extraordinary he denied it to those in health End of part two.